0: Good morning, and welcome to Central Church. We are so glad that you're here. Happy Father's Day. There's a a New Testament scholar by the name of Peter Oaks, and he tries to describe the uh, first century church, the church in Rome. As you might imagine, the church in Rome was nothing, nothing, nothing like this, nothing like our experience at all. There is no big platform. There is no piano. There is no drums. There is no fancy schmancy sound system. There is no pews. There is no air conditioning. There is no uh, uh, indoor plumbing. There is no new parking lot coming. Finally, one day it's going to get here. There is none of none of that. Our experience of church is nothing like what the Romans would have experienced. The Roman Christians in the first century. You all understand that, right? And so Peter Oakes, he's trying to, to describe it as more like a house church. Well, and you think, well, okay, house church, that's like we have home group. They come, in fact, we had our home group that met this week. Generally, our home group, Carla makes the main course, and people bring, you know, kind of potluck, and we, and we sit around, and we, we talk with one another, and then we share prayer requests, and we pray together, and we, you know, usually the home group, you know, helps me out with my sermon that I'm going to preach. In fact, our home group met this week, but met on Thursday night. We didn't, we didn't do what we normally do. Uh, it was just ice cream night, which was perfectly fine with me. And so, you know, we just had Sundays and because pandemic-y and stuff, you know, so we're all outside and we're in our backyard and it was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Which incidentally, you're all invited to my backyard on July 11th. We're welcoming our new 11 o'clock worship leader and he's going to be dealing with the, uh, congregational connections and some of those things. Reverend Joel Close, he'll be here For sure, on July 4th, but July 11th, we're going to have a reception in my backyard. You're all welcome. It's beautiful. You'll love it. Anyway. So we're sitting around eating ice cream. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Sharing prayer requests, talking about the weather, helping with the sermon. It would have been nothing like the first century. church. Remember, Tiberius had been the emperor of Rome. When Tiberius was the emperor of Rome, um... He, he thought that Christi- it was at the very beginning of Christianity. He thought that it was just a sect of Judaism. And so he really didn't have much to do with it. In fact, he thought, well, maybe it'll make uh, Jewish folks uh, more, com- more, more workable with Roman authorities. And so he kind of turned a blind eye to Christianity for those first 20 years, Tiberius as the emperor. They really didn't embrace Christianity, but they didn't just, you know, go crazy against Christians. But then Nero, Nero came up. And you all heard of enough stories about Nero. You know how Nero was. Nero hated Christians. Nero was crazy. He ruled from uh, fifty-four to sixty-eight. He eventually committed suicide. Very troubled person. But Nero, so Nero, you, 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 you've heard he, he set Rome on fire. Obviously, this, this guy is insane. Set Rome on fire. Blame the Christians. Now, modern historians have tried to um, uh, paint Nero in maybe a little bit better picture. But the truth of the matter is, he wanted to eliminate Christianity. I and mean, there's no, there's no, you can, you cannot deny that he 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 crucified literally thousands of Christians, had Christians uh, fed to the beasts in the Colosseum, stoned Christians, tried to silence Christianity as much as he possibly could. And it's in this world that Paul is now writing to the Romans, in the heart, the center of of, of Nero, at the very beginning of Nero's. A term if you will as being emperor so he's writing to this group in this house church now again a house church it wasn't like you know somebody had a split level ranch come over to our house just keep it quiet keep it on the down low but when you get to our house you know we can praise jesus all we want it wasn't like that at all peter Oakes describes how maybe the best way we can think about their living arrangements would be think of an indoor a flea market And everyone had a section, a room if you will, where they would sell their goods or do their craft or whatever, but then they would also live, their family would live in that same area, that same space. So they would sell things, there's sort of a roof over it, they'd sell their wares, they'd sell whatever, but then they'd live in that same space, about the size of a small garage, not big. And that would be their living quarters as well. And so imagine you're in the first century and Nero is just beginning his reign of terror. And you're starting to follow Jesus and someone has told you about Jesus and you, and you have accepted Jesus into your life. Maybe you're a pagan, maybe you had been a Jew. But now you're a Christian. You don't just show up singing, allelu, Alleluia," everybody come, join the party. Let's eat ice cream. No, you look over your shoulder. There's somebody watching us. You try to find an out-of-the-way place where you might meet. Somebody who would share a story about Jesus. They didn't have a Bible like you and I. Maybe the Gospel of Mark had been written. That's the earliest Gospel written. Maybe, maybe they had a piece, a section. But maybe not. In fact, probably not. So they didn't have a Bible like you did. No preacher could say up and say, all right, pull up your your Roman's journals, grab one and they're free in the lobby they would gather, it would be quiet. If they were gonna sing a song, it'd be quiet. No beautiful choir. It's to this group that Paul is writing. So again, back to my original question, why Abraham? Well, let's get into it. Romans, page 20, Romans chapter four. Let me read just the first five verses. Paul writes this. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believes God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness what's Paul talking about? Again, remember, he's just spent the last two and a half chapters talking about how we all need Jesus. Every one of us needs Jesus. Without Jesus, we're in trouble for all of sin falling short of the glory of God. And then he says this, verse 2, "For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Then skipping down, he describes what he's really talking about, verse 4, for the one who now, now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. He's saying, listen, if it's all about works, if you can, if you want to even put it in these terms, if you can get to heaven because of works, Abraham would have done it. He could have boasted, he, he, he could have done it. It's just like when you work, when you work, when you work your job, it's not a gift, it's what you're owed. You, you agree to the wages and you start to work and then you do the work and, and the, the owner, the, the proprietor, the whomever, they pay you your wages. In fact, if they don't, what happens? You get mad. You call your lawyer. You call, you know, Lee Free. You call him up. Hey, I did all this work and that bum didn't pay me. Let's go get him. Right? That's what you do. But Paul is saying here, See, if that was Abraham, if it was all about works, it wouldn't be a gift, it's what he was due. And then he, and then he quotes in, in verse three, he says, what does scripture say? Abraham believed It was counted to him as righteous. Well, what, what scripture is he referring to? He's referring back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15 describes an encounter that Abraham has with God. But to really understand Genesis 15, you've got to go back to Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, that's when God Almighty comes to Abraham, Abraham living in a place called Ur, and comes to him and says, Abraham, you are going to be the father of a great nation. Abraham, at the point, is 75 years old. Doesn't have any kids. Now, I'm not going to have all of our 75-year-olds raise your hand. You know, that would be exciting news, right? Where's, you know, 75, Dr. Anthony isn't 75, but can imagine, hey, doc, guess what? (laughs) You know, I don't know if he would have a heart attack first or if Marilyn would have a heart attack first. (laughs) One of them, they're not 75 yet, but one of them, one of them, one of them would have had a heart attack somewhere along the line, what are you talking about? This is crazy. That's what happened. God comes to Abraham, 75-year-old Abraham, 65-year-old Sarah. Guess what? You're going to be the father of a great nation. And so in chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, up until 15, all this stuff happens. Abraham, he's not, uh, he, you'd think he'd start clipping coupons for, for diapers, maybe building a bassinet, maybe maybe figuring some of those things out. I don't know. Maybe he was doing that. But in chapters 12, Abraham moves from Ur to Canaan. And then, and then he goes through Egypt and, and fellas, this is a terrible idea. Don't ever do this. He lies. He lies to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, you know, thinks 65 year old Sarah is, is a prize. And, and Abraham lies, says it's, she's his sister, not his wife. It's a mess. I don't want to get into that. And then, and then chapter 14 is the whole mess with Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, I don't want to get into that. And then we get up to chapter 15. Paul quotes chapter 15. And I think Abraham is having a little bit of a faith crisis. Because now, you know, he's no longer 75. Now he's probably in his 80s. And guess what? Still no baby. And so God comes to Abraham in chapter 15, verse 1, and says, don't be afraid, Abram. He hasn't even called him Abraham yet. His name is still Abram. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. I think Abraham had a little bit of Missourian in him. We lived in Kansas City for nine years. We lived on the Kansas side, but we knew a lot of Missourians, you know. My grandfather was from Missouri. I know about Missourians. They're stubborn as a mule. Show me state. There's a good reason why it's called the show me state. And I think, I think that's Abraham. He had a little bit of show me state. Well, well that's great, God. You're my, you're my uh, 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 shield, and my, I'm glad you're my protector, and you're my reward, I'm glad you're honored. but God, you promised me way back that I was gonna have, be the father of a great nation, and quite honestly, God, I don't see any babies, and I don't know if you've noticed, but Sarah's biological clock, it's ticking, and, 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 and we gotta get going here. And God, in so many words, in Genesis 15, says, okay, Abram, show me state, Missouri, and Abraham, you want to see something? Come on, you follow me. And he goes outside and says, look up, Abraham. What do you see? And Abraham looks up in the sky, and there's no you know, city lights around. He looks up in the sky, sees thousands, millions of stars. Wow, I see a lot of stars, God. And so, verse 5, and so shall your offspring be. Now, again, the Bible doesn't record the, the conversation, but I think Abraham would have said, God. I'm 80 years old. I'm not exactly sure how babies how, you know come, I'm pretty sure it's not from a stork, but I'm also pretty sure it's not from looking up at the stars in the sky. And just because there's a million stars in the sky, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that doesn't equate with me having a baby. And that's when we get to the verse that Paul quotes in Romans four, that is quoted here in Genesis 15. That says, and he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteous. He didn't do one thing. In fact, you could make the case that anything he did was wrong. He lied. He lied about Sarah. He was in that mess with Lot. Good works. He doubted a lot. Doubting is in the sin, but it sure doesn't. We wouldn't be counted as righteous because you're doubting. The message version, the message version reads Paul's words in chapter 4 this way. I I like the way it reads. It says, if you're a hard worker and you do a good job, you deserve your pay. You, You don't call your wages a gift, but if you see that job is too big for you, that it's something that only God can do, and you trust him to do it, You could never do it for yourself no matter how hard or long you worked. Well, that trusting him to do it is what gets you set right with God, by God, sheer gift. That's what's happening here with Abram. He can't become the father of a great nation all on his own. Are you kidding me? He doesn't even have any kids. But he's saying here in Genesis 15, and what Paul is reminding the believers in Romans chapter 4, is that Abraham believed that God would do what he said he would do, even though he had no evidence that that was going to take place. Even though all the signs, all the logic, all the, everything he knew about life is 85-year-olds, 75-year-olds, don't have kids. He believed that God would do what he said he was going to do okay question same question same question I've been asking all morning why why talk about Abraham that's great the Jews considered him the hero but why talk about Abraham the pagans in the crowd they're discovering that Abraham was just like them when he's back in Ur, guess what he was pagan 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 too okay skip to, to verse 5 verse 5 in Romans 4 this is one of the most important verses, really, in the entire book. If you have a friend that, that, that doesn't know Jesus, isn't a follower of God, maybe they believe in heaven and hell, maybe they don't. And you ask them that important question, why, why in the world, why in the world should God let you into heaven? And they respond, well, I'm a pretty good person. Well, there was this time there was a lady broke down on the side of the road and I went and I helped her and I, had my, I called the police and they came and they helped her. I was a good Samaritan. Well, I've put in plenty of money and the offering plate, it passes by, I drop in money and when I see the Salvation Army kettle at Christmas time, I always drop in 24 cents. And my neighbor, you see my neighbor, my neighbor is, he's a scoundrel. He is as grumpy as can be, but he goes to church every day. I'm, I'm better than him, so that's, that's probably why. Verse 5. And to the one who does not work, doesn't do one thing, doesn't do one blessed thing, doesn't put a dime in the offering plate, doesn't help their neighbor, doesn't do one blessed thing. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, that's us, by the way, Romans 3, right? For all of sin, Paul, and for all the glory of God. Who justifies in his faith is counted as righteous. Just like Abraham, pagan, pagan, pagan. Didn't do anything. Lied, all the rest. His faith was, not because of anything he had done, but because of what God Almighty had done. You see, the point that Paul is trying to make to these, to these pagan, Roman, former pagan, Roman, now Christian believers it's just like Abraham blazed the trail, forged the path. He was from Ur. He didn't know, but he trusted in God Almighty. Even when he didn't see it, he trusted in God Almighty. You do the same. Blaze the, pa- the trail. Set the path. Set the course. You're the beginning stages. Make a difference. That's his point. And he points it out at how it was going in verse 18. If you skip down verse 18, he, meaning Abraham, hoped. He, in hope he believed against hope that he would become the father of many nations, just as he had been told. Then skip down to verse 20. He grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that's why his faith was counted to him as righteous. But catch this, but the words it was counted to him were not just written for Abraham's sake alone, but for ours, for yours, for mine, for the folks in Rome, for the folks in Flint, for ours' sake. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him from the dead, who raised him from the dead. Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's why this is it. Well, pastor, this is a wonderful sermon. Thank you very much. Happy Father's Day. Let's get out of here. What's the whole point? The point is our past does not have to define us He's writing to a group of pagans whose past had defined them. And he's saying, your past no longer has to define you. You do not have to be chained to your past. Be like Abraham. Forge the trail. Set the course. Be the the one who changes the trajectory of your family. That's what he's talking about here. You know, I've told you today is Father's Day. I've told you a million stories about my dad. My dad, as you know, had been an alcoholic, found Jesus. Changed the trajectory of our family. My dad was an usher in the church. He always was usher. We we didn't have six rows. We only had two rows, and he sat. He was the usher for this section right here, and my mom always sat about in the fifth or sixth row. Back then, there was no children's church, of course. You know, there was just church, and so me and my sisters and the teens. Once you became a teen, you know, you, you. went off someplace on away from your parents but i was still young and so i would sit in fifth row with mom and believe it or not i was not always the 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 perfect um congregant and so you know church would be going that was you didn't bring coloring books for your five-year-old back in those days you sat and listened on those hard pews (laughs) that was a problem for me and so you know, I'd be going up and down the pews. You could slide. These pews are hard to slide on, but man, those pews, those wooden pews, you could slide on those puppies. And it was awesome. It was awesome until after the offering. My dad would come down, he'd receive the offering, he'd take the offering out, he'd come down the side, he'd grab me, he'd take me out, I'd get a spanking, we'd sit on the back row. Every single week. It was just, it could have been in the bulletin. One of those weeks, at the end of the service, the, 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 they didn't have a band. It was Nell Norton on the piano. We sang at the end of the service, "Victory in Jesus." I, was, I can't remember six, seven, eight years old, sitting on the back row, just out of spanking. We're singing "Victory in Jesus." I get this from my dad. As we were sitting in that back row, singing Victory in Jesus, my dad couldn't sing, my dad couldn't sing, but he couldn't sing that song, period, because why every time I sang Victory in Jesus, my dad started bawling like a baby. And I don't know if I have never paid attention or if I never saw, I don't know what it was, but I remember I looked up to my dad and said, Dad, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Why are you crying? and you know as nell norton was playing and dean van dyne was leading the song song victory in jesus my dad looked at me and he said because it wasn't that long ago it's probably i was six seven it was probably ten years ago It wasn't that long ago we didn't have victory and our family was a mess. My folks did not dwell on my dad's past all that much, but when there was opportunity, they certainly let us know. It wasn't long ago that we didn't have victory and we were a mess and I was in trouble and I needed Jesus and I found Jesus and I discovered that there is victory in Jesus and he could take a guy and change him, radically change him and make a difference in his life. That's why I'm crying, because of what Jesus has done in my life. I'm telling you that story to say my dad, he forged a new path. He set a new course. That made all the difference. When my dad had died, it's been 12 years. After my dad died, we gotta go. I, I, um, we were clearing out their house. They had lived in that house for 57 years. My mom was moving into a condo and so we were clearing out the stuff. And I was down in my dad's workshop area. My dad was not very handy, but he had a workshop. And so we are going down there and sorting through junk and I saw a bunch of Father's Day gifts that I had given my dad. All still in the package, none of them opened. He didn't care about tools, but you know, get him, what else do you get him? Get him a tool. It's all right there. He never opened a thing. Father's Day him wasn't about what some gift because my dad didn't. He didn't care about that. And I'm sure there were dinners. I'm sure we took him out to dinner. Uh, My son took us out to dinner last night. Wonderful, wonderful. In 15 years, I'll forget about that dinner. I can't remember one of the dinners. I'm sure sure we did. I'm sure we cooked steaks on the grill, whatever. We sure didn't go to baseball games. My dad would say, you know, I wouldn't walk across the street to see those bums play. That's his line. He could still be saying that if he were alive today. (laughs) You know what my dad's greatest Father's Day gift would be? It's third John four, third John verse four. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's that's my dad's gift. My dad's up in heaven. And I don't know if folks look down in heaven or not. I honestly don't know. I don't know I don't know, but assuming they do, I think that's still my dad's greatest joy knowing that Fred was a preacher and I was a preacher and Beth and Pam both served Jesus and all their kids you know or we got one niece that still is, she's getting there And no greater joy than to see that my kids are walking in listen there's only one way for your kids to walk in well the easiest way is for them to follow in your footsteps for them to see you moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and if you're single for your friends to see you it's that verse that that Deb used in the in the announcements you know Paul's words as I follow Christ you follow me following my footsteps forge a new path set a new course maybe your past has been horrible maybe your dad was, was awful Well, forge a new path, set a new course Say, I'm going to follow Jesus That's going to be who I am I'm going to follow Jesus, follow after me It puts a little weight on your shoulders Because you know what? People, People do look at you Your family, they notice Of course they do They're not idiots If you say you love Jesus and then go and do whatever you want Talk is cheap No, set the course. Be like Abraham, forge a new path. He was from Ur, all pagan. He set a new course. And Paul is telling these Roman Christians, it's up to you, it's your turn. Set a new course. Follow the right path. Let your kids and your grandkids and your friends follow after you. That's the same thing. That's the same lesson we need to have. For all of us are in the same boat. Every one of us need Jesus. But we're also in the same boat that Jesus can save us and rescue us and we can set a new course.